Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. In his brother's Karamazov, Dostoevsky has Ivan exclaim, if there is no God, everything is permitted. We should take Ivan's cry to be an expression of the idea that morality is grounded in God. One way of understanding this idea is as follows. Morality is grounded in God just in case our moral concepts and moral practices are unintelligible without reference to him. That is, just in case reference to God is necessary for our moral concepts and practices to make sense from the inside. In this paper, I wish to look at one aspect of our moral practice that may or may not make sense if we do not make explicit reference to God. This is the practice of making knowledge claims in regards to morality. That is to say, claiming to have knowledge regarding right and wrong of what one should and should not do. What I wish to argue for tentatively is to rephrase Dostoevsky, if there is no God, then for all we know, everything is permitted. The structure of my paper will be as follows. In the first section, I will rehearse an argument for moral skepticism that has, presented, that has been presented by various philosophers, including Street, Bedke, and Setia. We can call this argument the argument from naturalistic explanation, or the ANE for short. Since in all of its versions, it moves from the premise that we have a naturalistic explanation of why we have the moral beliefs that we do, to the conclusion that we cannot have moral knowledge. In section two, I will show how, given traditional theism, the ANE fails to go through. In section three, I will argue that the atheist lacks the resources to defeat the ANE when it is understood in terms of epistemic luck. Thus, morality must be grounded on God, at least partially. Section one. To start, it is worth making some comments about the nature of morality and moral belief. I take morality to be an objective system of categorical universal prescriptions and proscriptions, which can be expressed through should statements. This is to say, Morality makes demands of us. It demands us to do certain things and abstain from doing other things. The demands of morality are categorical in that they give us reasons for acting that do not essentially depend upon our beliefs, wants, desires, or what we happen to value at a a given time. The demands of morality are universal and they apply at least to all human beings. One has a moral belief just in case he sends to a moral statement. For example, S believes that one should not lie just in case he assents to the statement, one should not lie. It will be assumed that moral knowledge needs no special explanation. Moral knowledge is simply knowledge of truths expressed by should statements. Several philosophers believe that some form of the following argument, which we can call the argument from naturalistic explanation or the A and E, Uh, for short, undermines the possibility of moral knowledge. In its simplest form, the argument goes as follows. 
Premise 1. There is in principle a fully naturalistic causal explanation for why anyone has the moral beliefs they do. Premise 2. This fully naturalistic causal explanation makes no reference to moral truths. Therefore, if the conclusion, in this case, our moral beliefs are not justified in a way that confers knowledge. Suppose, for example, that Bob believes that one should treat others the way one would like to be treated. The argument under consideration supposes that there is, at least in principle, a fully naturalistic causal explanation for why Bob believes this. Street, for instance, believes that the explanation be can, can be given in terms of evolutionary psychology. But whatever the details of the explanation turn out to be, the claim is that, in principle at least, the natural sciences are able to provide us with a causal explanation of why Bob believes that one should treat others the way one would like to be treated. What is true of Bob and his belief about the golden rule, according to the A&E, is true for all of us regarding all of our moral beliefs. From this supposed fact, various philosophers have drawn skeptical conclusions, though they have done so for varying reasons. Some philosophers understand the A&E to provide us with evidence that undermines our moral beliefs. According to this line of thought, what the argument from naturalistic explanation shows us is that our reliability in regards to morality is an unexplainable coincidence, and this putative fact provides us with undermining evidence against our moral beliefs. To understand this, suppose that there is a non-moral naturalistic explanation of why we have the moral beliefs we do. This non-moral naturalistic explanation points out a causal history that has determined our moral beliefs. Given this, we might ask why the world is such that it has led us to have mostly true moral beliefs. Why is it, for example, that our evolutionary history was such that we've come to form mostly true beliefs about morality? It seems difficult, if not impossible, to give a satisfa satisfactory non-theistic answer to this question. The right response seems to be, there is no explanation. It's merely a coincidence. So we find ourselves in the following position. We want to say that we are reliable regarding morality, but we are forced to admit, disregarding theism, that this is an inexplicable coincidence. But according to the argument under consideration, the fact that our reliability regarding morality is an unexplainable coincidence gives us evidence for believing that we are not reliable. And evidence that we are not reliable in regards to morality counts as undermining evidence for any of our moral beliefs. For example, if Bob has evidence that he is not reliable in re regarding morality, this counts as evidence against his belief in the golden rule. <clears throat> the problem with this line of thought, as several commentators have pointed out, is that even if we grant that our being reliable in regards to morality must be an unexplainable coincidence, and that this counts ultimately as undermining evidence against our moral beliefs, Still, this counter-evidence is inconclusive and defeasible. We might, even in the face of such counter-evidence, be justified in holding our moral beliefs. For example, that it is wrong to intentionally kill the innocent is something that I am so certain of that I am justified in believing this, even if I accept my reliability regarding such matters is inexplicable. And this will be true for many other of my moral beliefs. 
Thus, the evidential strength of the putative inexplicability of our moral reliability is simply not strong enough to defeat our moral knowledge, at least not in general. I've been arguing that if we understand the A&E as providing us with evidence that our moral beliefs are not true, the argument is unconvincing. But there's another way of understanding the A&E in terms of epistemic luck. According to this line of thought, what the A&E shows us, if it is successful, is that it is best an accident or a matter of mere luck that our moral beliefs are true. But if it is merely an accident or matter of luck that our moral beliefs are true, they cannot be justified in a way that confers knowledge. Knowledge just is non-accidental, non-luckily true belief. Kieran Setia, in his Knowing Right from Wrong, puts the A&E forcefully along, along these terms. First, Setia argues for what I will call the explanation condition for non-accidental true belief. According to the explanation condition, for all subjects S and propositions P, if S's belief that P is non-accidentally true, that is to say not subject to epistemic luck, then one, S will have formed and currently sustained the belief that P through some reliable method M, and two, the reliability of this method M explains or is explained by the fact that S uses it. So for instance, Bob's belief that the golden rule is true will be non-accidentally true only if he formed and sustains this belief using a reliable method and the reliability of this method either explains or is explained by the fact that Bob uses it. Here we can understand methods of belief formation to be a disposition to form beliefs given certain psychological and environmental conditions. A method M is reliable just in case it regularly produces true beliefs in the actual and all nearby possible worlds. What is it for the reliability of a method M to be explained or to explain the fact that S uses it? For this to be the case, either S must use, method, use the method because it is reliable, or the method must be reliable because S uses it. Says Setia, three kinds of because might be relevant here, efficient, final, and formal. Perhaps S uses M because its reliability follows from the ideology of its use. Perhaps these factors have a common cause. Perhaps S uses M for the sake of forming true beliefs. It is the function of M to be reliable, and the connection is teleological. Perhaps the conjunction is constitutively explained. A constitutive account of X is an account of its nature, or what it is to be that thing. A constitutive explanation of P and Q is one in which P follows from Q together with truths of this kind. Thus the reliability of M might follow from what is, it is for the method to be used by S. Once we have the explanation, explanation condition in hand, we can then present the A and E in the following way. Suppose that there is a non-moral naturalistic causal explanation for why we have the moral beliefs that we do. In this case, it seems the reliability of our methods of moral belief formation neither explains nor is explained by the fact that we use these methods. On the one hand, there appears to be no explanation in terms of efficient causation for this fact. Given the availability of a non-moral, naturalistic explanation of why we have the moral beliefs we do, we have no reason for believing that the truths of morality account for our using some method of moral belief formation 
and this method being reliable. Neither is it plausible, without assuming theism, that the function of our moral belief forming methods is to reliably produce true moral beliefs. Given that there is a non-moral naturalistic explanation of why we have the moral beliefs we do, we can assume that our methods of moral belief formation would have been used whether they are reliable or not. But in this case, we not, cannot plausibly claim that we use the methods of moral belief formation that we do because they have the function of being reliable. Nor does it seem that we can give a constitutive explanation of why we use the methods we do in terms of the reliability of these methods. On the one hand, we might give what Sedia calls a constructivist account of moral truth. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.